I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington, it's Livewire with writer Maria Semple, actor Misha Collins, attorney and podcaster Jesse Ross, with music from Telekinesis and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, he's going to need an old priest and a young priest, Luke Burbank! Thank you, Jason Rouse. Thanks, everybody, here at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington. We have an interesting show for you. Our theme this hour is facing your demons, which I will admit is an overly intense theme for a public radio variety show. Some of you are probably like, I bought a ticket to see Polite Conversation and medium funny jokes, not an exorcism. Um, We're not going to do that, I promise. And we're not necessarily talking about the demons that are like the really big ones, the ones that can be a huge problem in your life. We're kind of more interested in the small demons that we all face, the little voice inside your head, the insecurities, the things that we all kind of have a hard time getting over. Of course, they're all different for all of us. The stuff that might be a problem for for you might not be a problem for me. I had a chance this week to face one of my demons, uh, which is that I do not like seeing photographs of myself, like at all. (laughs) And it came up this week because uh, a magazine here in Seattle did a little interview with me, and I hear it was a nice interview. I have not read the interview because I clicked on the link to the story and I saw the picture of me they were using and I immediately X'd the window off of my computer (laughs) because I was so embarrassed feeling. Now, some of you might rightfully ask the question, hey, Einstein, if you don't like having yourself in pictures, why did you sign up for a job 
where they distribute literally 700 pictures of you to the audience at the Neptune Theater? <laughs> it's a fair question. Here's the thing. I've never been a huge fan of seeing myself in photographs, but a new problem has started emerging now that I'm 40. When I see a picture of myself, if I'm not expecting it, the first thought that goes through my mind, and I mean this honestly, is how did my grandpa get in this picture? <laughs> because I look pretty much exactly like my granddad, Jack Kelly of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And it's not just that I look like my granddad, but I feel like my granddad. Like my physical body is pretty much falling apart. Two weeks ago, I got a filling, and when the Novocaine wore off, a different tooth in my mouth started hurting <laughs> super bad, not the one that they were trying to fix. Like if I drank any hot liquids or if I ate something kind of crunchy, the whole side of my face was like in intense pain. So a couple days ago, I went back to the dentist. I said, what should we do about this? And she looked at it and she said, you know, the tooth doesn't seem overtly like there's anything wrong with it. I think if we try to fix it, we could make it worse. My professional advice is just go with it. <laughs> Which, you know, seemed reasonable to me at the time, but on the ride home, I started to think about the implications for my life which is that this means now going forward, for the rest of my days, I'm gonna be one of those weirdos who can only eat soup on one side of their mouth. <laughs> and it's not just my teeth, my hair is hurting. And I don't mean that it's falling out, although that is also happening. I mean, the part where my hair goes into the top of my head <laughs> has been hurting me this week, like has been in pain. And today, I made the huge mistake of going on the internet and asking the internet, what does it mean if your hair hurts? I cannot advise strongly enough against doing that internet search. It brought back a lot of results, none of them good. Not one of them said, your hair hurts? You know what the answer is? Things are going great. <laughs> Suffice it to say, I've been having a tough week. I've been facing some of my demons. And in our house, uh, we have a picture of my granddad. And I was looking at it this week. This is the guy who I'm like super bummed out that I look like, right? And I'm looking at a picture of him and I'm thinking about his life. And let me just give you the short version, okay? His name's Jack Kelly from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Had seven kids. His wife died extremely young. He had to figure out how to try to make this whole thing work. His job was that he was a milner which means he sold women's hats. And he sold like just enough of these women's hats to keep a roof over everybody's head. And he would save up all year round so that for one month in the summer, the whole family could go down to the New Jersey seashore. This is like what this guy lived for. This and the Philadelphia Phillies. I was looking at the picture of this guy and it occurred to me that at no time in his life ever once did he look at a photo of himself and think, do I look fat? <laughs> like that was not on his radar because he was busy thinking about the important things in life. And so I had for me kind of a breakthrough, which was a new way of trying to push back like intrusive thoughts and that little voice of insecurity, that thing that makes me not wanna read the magazine article because I don't like the picture. When I have that feeling, I'm gonna ask myself, 
WWJD. <laughs> what would Jack do? I think this could be huge. And I also want to offer this to you as just a freebie. If you want to do this in your life, I think this could be very popular. I'm thinking about getting bracelets made. <laughs> Does this sound like a good idea? Are you guys into this? Okay. I think this is going to be huge. Uh, you want to get your first guest out here? Okay, we're talking about facing your demons this week, uh, which is something our next guest does on a fairly regular basis. Playing Castiel the Angel on the CW's hit TV show Supernatural. But the weird thing is, Misha Collins doesn't seem satisfied to just portray a good dude on TV. It turns out it's sort of a lifestyle choice for him. He's also the founder of a nonprofit that encourages random acts of kindness. And he's also the guy behind the most insane competition slash scavenger hunt slash make the world a better place. It's a thing called Gishwas, and he just needs to explain it to you. Let's get him out here. Please welcome Misha Collins to Livewire. Hi, Misha. Welcome to Livewire. Hello. Uh, let's talk about Gishwas. Okay. What is this thing exactly? Um, so Gishwas uh, started on a lark as me just trying to play with the fandom of my show um, and trying to figure out what strange things I could get them to do. Um, yeah, I guess it was sort of a weird, abusive power play on my part. And I had been carrying around this list of art projects for a long time that had not yet been materialized. And so I just sort of put those on a list along with some other stuff for a, a scavenger hunt that we ran online. There was just a few hundred people that participated. But when the submissions started coming in to my email um, of the things that people had done for the scavenger hunt, I thought to myself, this is the most fun thing I've ever done. I have to keep doing this. And the people that participated had an amazing time. And now we have many tens of thousands of people participating in 100 countries around the world. And uh, we've raised a lot of money for charity and also um, had a lot of people break out of their comfort zones. Uh, and I get to laugh at people humiliating themselves <laughs> throughout the process. So it's win, win, win all around. Yeah. What, uh, is there a specific thing that comes to mind that, that was really memorable for you? Um, this year we had an item which was to get a child to write a note to the universe and take a photo of that in space. So they had to get a note into space and a lot of people pulled it off. And there's these amazing photographs of a paper document floating in space with Earth behind it, which is kind of amazing. We had. Um, a fully decorated Christmas tree floating in the air, um, lifted by helium balloons. And it was a, an arresting thing to see. Um, and I use the term arresting because also some regional airports were closed due to Christmas trees in the airspace. I want to let the radio listeners know we're talking to Misha Collins from the TV show Supernatural and also the guy behind Gishwas. Um, Okay, so I saw there was a piece on CBS TV about this project, and they pointed out that you had someone make a loot out of lutefisk, like a playable loot. I think the, audience, the audience's reaction is appropriate in this matter. 
That might violate a Geneva Convention. What happened with that? You have to admit, it sounds, it's a funny idea. It is a good idea. And then when you hear people groaning in pain when you mention it in the audience here, um, that's sort of all, this, all the payment that you need. It's very satisfying to hear that, so. If it seems like he's a natural at radio, it's because you actually worked uh, at NPR for a while. You also worked at the White House. I want to talk a little bit about your life outside of uh, being an actor and that stuff, but we have to take a quick break first. We have Misha Collins here on Livewire Radio. Back in a moment from the Neptune Theater. Hey there, Livewire listener. It's Luke. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment to let you know, in case by some crazy set of circumstances you were not aware, that Livewire Radio and also the Livewire Podcast are made possible in part, in a huge part it turns out, through the generosity of listeners all across the country. We call them our League of Extraordinary Listeners. Uh, we are a nonprofit. We are independently produced. We make this little thing every year through just <laughs> scrappiness and, uh, and luck and the amazing generosity of people like you out there because we get out there and we beat the streets uh, raising money. We don't really beat the streets, let's be honest. It's more like we beat the theaters. I mean, we do the show in a theater. We beat the internets. We go online, we give you the podcast. Anyway, we're out there trying to remind people, this is my point, that we need your help to keep doing this show. We would not be here without other people who have uh, donated by going to livewireradio.org. Here's how it works. Uh, you go to livewireradio.org. You sign up to give us a little bit of money, whatever you feel comfortable with. If you want to do 10 bucks a month, that'll get you a totes bag. And you are going to love this thing. I have one. I carry it everywhere. I really do. Um, you get that for uh, 10 bucks a month. Again, you, you give whatever amount you feel comfortable with. It's tax deductible. We're trying to raise $15,000 by the end of December 31st. And we have, I am told, about $7,000 more to go. So we're making good progress, but we don't have a ton of time. So if you are hearing this and it is December, please go to livewireradio.org. And, uh, and sign up. Kick us a couple of bucks. Help us keep this thing going. If you're hearing this and it's past December, you should still go to the website and help us out. We can always use help. We're a public radio show for the love of Mike. And seriously, thank you. Welcome back to Livewire Radio, coming to you from the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington. We have uh, Misha Collins here from the television show Supernatural on the CW. He's also the guy behind uh, the nonprofit Random Acts and also the brains behind Gishwas, which is an amazing scavenger hunt. I find it to be a minor miracle that you sit here as a person who's well known for being an actor because it doesn't seem like that's the path your life was on in into your 20s. Like, you were doing a lot of other things, right? Like, this acting thing seems like it was a late addition to your, the portfolio of Misha Collins. That I think is true. I thought I was gonna go into politics as a young person, and I was a big fan of national public radio. Um, I was such a big fan, actually, that my wife who's sitting over there, we were just dating at the time, um, but for my 18th birthday, she brought, she brought me to national public radio headquarters. And, uh, but it was a surprise, and she wasn't telling me where she was taking me. And I said, oh, just give me a hint, just give me the address. And she said, it's 2020 M Street Northwest. And I was like, ah, I know that that's NPR headquarters. Like, I was a super fan. <laughs> um, 
So I ended up interning at NPR, and then that turned into a job there briefly, um, and it was amazing. I loved walking through the corridors, seeing the faces that were attached to the voices that I knew so well from radio. I also interned at the White House during Clinton's term and didn't like it very much. What didn't you like about it? Well, they had me doing a lot of database work, and I wasn't terribly skilled at that, so I decided that politics wasn't for me. And I, I actually saw also that there was a quite a bit of nepotism in the political process. Like, a lot of the people that I was surrounded by were people who were either uh, had their parents donate a lot of money to the campaign or had volunteered on the campaign, and it wasn't necessarily the, the best and the brightest minds in the world. And uh, that was a little bit disappointing to me. And so I decided that I would get out of that kind of environment and go where everybody has integrity and does things for the right reason. <laughs> And so I moved to Hollywood. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, as we've already mentioned, and as anybody with ears can hear, you've got a lot of fans. People are probably curious if, if they were to happen to run into you. Yeah. How do you like that conversation to go, if at all? Well, I was scarred early on by an experience where somebody came up to me and said, could you take a picture? And I was like, oh, sure. And it was a, it was a couple, and I put my arm around the girl, and the guy was like, no, can you take a picture of us? <laughs> so, from my side of the transaction, that's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of people will come up and they're like, oh my God, are you Misha Collins? And, and then they'll stand like awkwardly close to me and I'll confirm that I am. And then they'll be like, wow. And I know that they want to ask for a picture, but they're not asking for it. And I'm so damaged from that earlier experience right. that I won't offer it up either. Yeah. And so we just have this sort of awkward stare off. I don't love that transaction either. So if, if someone would like to take a picture with you, just go ahead and throw that out early in the conversation. Early, earlier than later in the conversation would okay. be great. This is um, good. Yeah. Another one that I felt sort of crossed a line with me was at a urinal. So, he, <laughs> no, just a selfie, but you know, I was, I was in process. Oh man. And that was a little weird, yeah. I thought. All right, Misha, you seem like such a good guy. You play an angel on television. You've started a charity. You are promoting always online the idea of love and acceptance, but we know we know that you have a dark side, a very dark side, and we are going to find it right now in a segment that we're calling, What Are You Hiding, Misha Collins? We've been watching you. I've never felt so nervous. We want to figure out what you're hiding. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I would like you to give me an honest answer, okay? We'll see. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever pretended to not see someone who is running for the elevator that you are in? Yes. Oh. I didn't think you were going to crack that easily. Have you ever re-gifted a Christmas present? <laughs> All the time. 
have you ever thrown away something that you could have donated? Yesterday. Follow-up question. And I felt guilty about it, though. I felt guilty. You want guilty. to tell us what it was? Do you feel comfortable with that? It was a perfectly nice shirt, but it was too small for me, and I should have donated it, and I was too lazy. Have you ever donated something that you should have thrown away? Um, I remember as a child, we had very little money, and we shopped at a store that was kind of like the, the Goodwill store, um, but cheaper. And Don't pay those Goodwill prices. But, <laughs> but I remember that we brought in our stuff when we were done. We had you know, clothes to get rid of. Uh, we brought them into the same store, and I remember them very distinctly saying, uh, we do not take used underwear. <laughs> I wish someone would have told my mom that <laughs> when I was growing up and regularly received used underwear as a gift. Last one, Misha Collins. Have you ever started a fake phone call to avoid a real-life conversation? Oh, my God. Not only have I, but I discovered that there's an app for that. Yes, it's so great. It'll, it'll make your phone ring. So you can be like, sorry, I've got to take this. I want to say to the crowd here at the Neptune, if Misha gets a call <laughs> while you're standing awkwardly next to him, not asking for a photo, it's probably... <laughs> he just did it to me on stage. I feel like it's a pretty resounding answer to the question of what are you hiding, Misha Collins. It's Misha Collins, ladies and gentlemen. See him on Supernatural. This week's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, now offering holiday meals already cooked and prepared. Because why squabble with family over how to smoke a turkey? Why not spend that time with family eating a turkey? It's a turkey win-win. More info at WholeFoodsMarket.com. All right, our theme this week is facing your demons. And we asked the crowd here at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, what's a bad habit that they can't seem to shake? Yeah. Margaret, who's here, says the bad habit that she can't seem to shake is ignoring her children for Facebook. <laughs> she used her real name, bless her yeah. heart. Brave. Uh, Ryan said a bad habit he can't seem to shake. My bad habit is using the phrase sounds good when agreeing via text message. I should reply, reads well. Yo, wow. that, just, that just like bent my brain. That's high level. Yeah. I'm never going to say sounds good again. No. Via text and feel okay about it. Thanks, Ryan. A bad habit that Elena can't seem to shake. Biting my nails while eating soft cheeses, while watching reality TV, while tindering. Wow. So I don't know if we want to unpack that, but she's she's single, folks. Yeah. I think that's the takeaway from that. Our next guest is an author, attorney, rapper, speaker, and storyteller. I know another one of those people. He's also a member of the Blackfeet Indian Nation, a regular writer for Indian Country Today, 
and the host of a podcast with probably the greatest name for a podcast of all time. It's called Break Dances with Wolves. Please welcome Giassi Ross to Livewire. Hey, man, welcome to Livewire. Thank you for having me. You know, you were sitting down when we met upstairs. I was. And now that you walk out on stage and you hugged me, I felt so safe. I was recently um, at, at Standing Rock. So we got really, really good news that there's at least going to be a break in this pipeline. There's going to be a break for some period of time. We don't know how long. Right, because the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers said they were reconsidering it, correct? Yeah, kind of. It was more because there was literally tens of thousands of people there and 4,000 veterans came there. Sure. And they... Right, right. Okay. Yeah. But let me, let me finish yeah. this story real quick. All right, all right. So there was MSNBC. They were capturing this beautiful moment when we got good news and everybody's hugging and stuff like this. And I have a friend. His name is Jared Kipp. He's also a member of the Blackfeet Nation. And I gave him a big hug. And I am a big guy. And I'm 240 pounds. So, and I do jujitsu. So I could choke you out like I could. And, and, and I was holding him. And, and I could feel him kind of struggling a little bit. That time, MSNBC had their cameras on us. So our contribution to that moment was me hugging him and him struggling to get away. And it looked really uncomfortable. Yeah, so I'm a big guy. Maybe by no coincidence, they announced that the pipeline may actually have to be moved. That could have been the hug that moved the pipeline. Yes. I, all I need to do is get a hold of the proprietor of Energy Transfer Partners in a close space. Give him a big hug. Yeah, I think right. he might have a different decision. Okay. Let me... Obviously, the pipeline going through Standing Rock has been a huge story, but I think, yeah. believe it or not, there are a lot of people who are still somewhat sketchy on the details. Like, they hear those words. They hear Standing Rock. They hear Pipeline. What is actually the story of, of what was being attempted or is being attempted, the pushback against it? Can you just actually give the kind of two-minute explanation of what this story is, at least uh, from your perspective? Absolutely. Well, I'm a storyteller. That's what I do. I do all these other things, but it's really just who tells the best story. And as a storyteller, there's been a story that's been told for a long, long, long time that Native people and a lot of brown-skinned people, our lives were not as valuable as white people's lives. Now, it's almost redundant to say a white town in North Dakota because, like, all the towns are white. But this, this pipeline was supposed to go through Bismarck, North Dakota, a white town in North Dakota. And they said, no, there's too much risk. We can't do that. So instead, we're going to put it over here, which goes through an Indian reservation, goes right abuts the Indian reservation. The, everything's exactly the same. The risk is exactly the same, except for the color of the people's skin. And so from that perspective, it seems like a classic case of racial profiling and you are more qualified to absorb a particular kind of risk. And that's the reason why people responded and galvanized around Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. So thank you to everybody who's been supporting that. That's been beautiful support. And so the latest piece of news on this is that the Army Corps of Engineers said that they were actually going to, at least for the time being, kind of withdraw their support for this particular route. Do I have that part right? Yes, that's absolutely correct. And what does that mean exactly to you? Like, does that mean that you won, or is that just you, you guys won this half of the game or something? Yes. As of this moment, there is a stoppage in work of this oil pipeline. Obviously, we have this 
orange guy coming into office who, as a matter of public record, is very, very pro-development and very, very pro, we're gonna tear up and scorch this earth and whatever's left within these native communities that are oftentimes very poor and don't have the financial resources to fight these battles, uh, so be it. Those are the folks that are in, in evolution and progress's way. So the prospectus, we don't know, but as of this moment, we do have a victory, it's a cautious victory, but we do wanna say that native people, indigenous people, and humanity, more importantly, because it's all of us that need clean water, it's all of us that need clean air. For this moment, humanity is one. We're talking to Giassi Ross. He's an activist, he's an attorney, he's a rapper. So you, uh, you ended up going to Columbia Law School. Yeah. That's got to be a real different scene than the, than the Blackfeet Nation. I, you know, I rolled around in, on a train. I was in New York City earlier today. And it was like seeing a unicorn when you see a native person with two braids and like, oh, there's a unicorn. Right. And so I got to get as many questions about unicorns to that unicorn while I see the unicorn. You know, like, this is a moment. And, and so in classrooms, I was one of two native people at Columbia Law School. So anytime there was a question about Indian law, everybody turned to me. <laughs> Whenever there was a question about the Cleveland Indians, everybody turned to me. <laughs> Indian summer, nativity scenes, it didn't matter, like, oh. <laughs> and If somebody mispronounced Indiana. Right, anything, anything at all. And, and so it was definitely a different experience because I came from largely a homogenous background where there was native people all around me to a place where we were literally um, an anomaly, something that wasn't supposed to be there but for some weird exceptions to the rule. And, and oh, I know a native person. You, uh, you live on the Port Madison Reservation near Seattle, is that correct? Yes, the Suquamish Indian Reservation. And Suquamish! Chief Seattle was Suquamish. Well, that's what I wanted to ask about. Yeah. I know his grave is there. How was it that, that this place ended up being named after this guy? And did he have some unique qualities he must have? First of all, he was really, really big. Folks don't know that. What kind of hugs did he give? Uh, I, I'm sure that they were uncomfortable hugs. Like, you know, they say that there's a pheromone released after 20 seconds that actually gives you better health and puts you in a bed. Did you know that? After 20 seconds. And so sometimes I just test that. And there's a Can we test that at the a, end of this interview? There's, there's a, I was ready to go right now. Uh, I just want to, look seriously, at the end of it, let's do a 20 second hug. Let's and, go, and let's go. And test the theory. There's a fine line between, between a really releasing those pheromones and a court order. So just FYI, there's a level of danger there. Right. But Chief Seattle was really, really big. He was a big guy. But the, the reason why he came to such prominence was because of his diplomacy. So a lot of the folks around here, the white folks that initially moved here, the settlers, Doc Maynard, those folks, he was willing to be the go-between and to try to make peaceful outcomes in a way that, you know, he realized, I think, the same way that we see in Standing Rock, the same way we see kind of just in general, that we're all kind of stuck with each other. And so it's better to work together and try to find some mutual outcomes that benefit everybody than fighting with each other constantly. Can we hug it out? Can we try this? I would love that. So you're saying that there is scientific research that if you hug for more than 20 seconds, pheromones are released? Look this, this up. Just... Like, okay. I've been waiting for this moment. Okay. Okay, we're gonna... It's gonna get awkward. 
It's gonna get awkward. You have no, wait, do we have a timer? Is anyone timing this, Jason? There it is. That's 20 seconds. Go deep, guys. That was 28 seconds. Wow, that was amazing. Giassi Ross, ladies and gentlemen, the best hugger in the game. Time really slowed down for a while. Yeah, it did. It did. Started out, it was like, this is intense, and yeah. then I didn't want it to end. Take a minute, take a knee if you have to. <laughs> this week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, an airline with over 800 daily departures to over 100 cities, even to tropical unAlaskan lands like Costa Rica and Hawaii. And with a name like Alaska, you know their air conditioning will be on point. <laughs> Alaska Airlines, fly nice. All right. We are asking the crowd here at the Neptune Theater about the bad habits that they can't seem to shake. And uh, we've got a few more here. Uh, Colleen said that the bad habit she can't seem to shake is flipping to the end of a book. I need to know if the struggles are worth the angst of the journey. Good Lord. There's a certain efficiency to that, which I you kind of yeah, have to respect. I mean, yeah, you can't argue with it. Chelsea says the bad habit she can't seem to break. Caring what people think about me. That and macaroni and cheese. <laughs> but she mostly the first one. Yeah. And Carrie says the bad habit that they can't seem to shake. <clears throat> this is maybe the most Seattle bad habit I've ever heard. Right. Or I should say, thinking this is a bad habit. In fact, giving this even one minute of concentration is the most Seattle thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Carrie's bad habit is throwing tea bags in the compost with no regard to the metal staple. A monster. A monster walks amongst you, Seattle. Oh, my goodness. All right. Our next guest's latest book is, in some ways, the story of one woman's attempts over the course of a day to face her demons, demons of procrastination, Child avoidance, wearing yoga pants all day, even though they didn't do yoga. These are the things Eleanor Flood, a Seattle mom, tries to change in Maria Semple's amazing new book, Today Will Be Different. She's also, of course, the author of the bestseller, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Please welcome Maria Semple to Livewire. Maria, welcome to Livewire. Thank you. For folks that maybe haven't had a chance to read the book yet, um, can you kind of describe the main character, Eleanor Flood? Like, what is it that drives her? Eleanor Flood is a Seattle mom who is not present. She's easily distracted. And the way, my way into her is she always gets the times wrong. 
feeling like she's forgetting something. She's just completely distracted. And she's not present in her life, and she doesn't love well the people she loves the most. And she's very disappointed by that. And she just tries to start the day by setting the bar incredibly low for herself. I just want to get dressed. I want to not make the world a worse place. And then (laughs) I'll consider it a win. And then life happens. Then it all goes awry. This book is set in Seattle. Of course, you live in Seattle. It is extremely hard to not read it uh, as being very autobiographical. It, it's totally autobiographical. Okay. I'm very comfortable with that. What do you think are the, aside from maybe getting the times wrong and kind of ambivalent feelings about Seattle, what are the traits that you feel like you personally in your real life as Maria Semple share with Eleanor Flood, the character in your new book? I have a hard time with Costco. Um, <laughs> I, there's a Costco scene where uh, she goes in for a quick second, which already is a setup because, of yeah. course, that doesn't happen, and then uh, is filled with existential dread. And she, she at once feels superior to everybody, uh, judging by their, all their low-class stuff in their shopping carts versus the high-class stuff in her shopping cart, and so she thinks that she's superior, but then she's kind of spins out and understands that it's really, she's just part of this horrible thing called America. And, uh, and that's how you also feel. That's very much how I feel. Um, there's a, in, in that Costco scene, I think that somebody's offering samples of something called steak fish. Yes. That's not real, right? Please tell me that's not real. No, that's not real. I made oh. that up, that they're breaded steak fish. Yes. Now, as a writer, because the the attention to detail in, in the book is, is really amazing, and it really makes a lot of the things work. And then sometimes you say something like steak fish, which is a not real thing. What's the purpose behind that? So there's a quote about writing that says, try to put a imaginary garden with a real toad. And so th- that's, that's how I kind of write, is I feel like you need the real specifics of day-to-day life And if you do that, then you've set the bar for yourself. So that's why I always write kind of autobiographically about the stuff that's really going on in my life. Because I feel like if, if I put that across, then there's an authority there. And then once I've kind of lulled the reader into thinking that this is all real, then I slip in steak fish. And... It jumped off the page at me. Oh, good. Because I was like, please, God, let them not really be selling something like that. Yeah. Because that sounds truly awful. Uh, We have Maria Semple here. Her new book is Today Will Be Different. (laughs) And I was wondering, um, you appear in this uh, book to really not be a big fan of overusing the word amazing. You, it's been used maybe 50 times already in this radio hour. I'm sorry, I'm aware of it. You mean from the stage here? From the stage. I've been, and maybe some of the other guests have been overusing amazing. I won't name names. And you've just been... On the side of the stage, eating your steak fish, judging us. I chortle because I'm on to the amazing thing when ahead of everybody. Can you please, uh, would you mind reading a little bit from the book, which really illustrates, I think, kind of where that comes from, or at least, uh, you know, how Eleanor feels in the book about the, the overuse of amazing? You know how your brain turns to mush? How it starts when you're pregnant? You laugh, full of wonder and conspiracy, and you chide yourself, me and my pregnancy brain. Then you give birth, and your brain doesn't return, 
but you're breastfeeding, so you laugh as if you're a member of an exclusive club. Me and my nursing brain. But then you stop nursing and the terrible truth descends. Your good brain is never coming back. You've traded vocabulary, lucidity, and memory for motherhood. You know how you're in the middle of a sentence and you realize at the end you're gonna need to call up a certain word and you're worried you won't be able to, but you're already committed so you hurdle along and then pause because you've arrived at the end but the word hasn't? And it's not even a $10 word you're after, like polemic or shibboleth, but a $2 word like distinctive. So you just end up saying amazing? which is how you join the gang of nitwits who describe everything as amazing. So, that's Maria Semple. So now has this, like, infected your brain so that you, you know, when you're just at parties and in real life and you hear someone say amazing, it just, like, stops you cold? I mean, that seems like a thing that you can't un here once you've made note of it. Very much so, yes. And it, it does mean that I have to pause because I don't think I don't want to say the word amazing, every other word, but now I can't. I'm on paper. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the character uh, Eleanor Flood writes about being a child of an alcoholic. And I thought that you, you wrote about it with what seemed like a certain knowing. Uh, is that something that you've had personal experience with? So is, are my parents drunks? Is that what you're asking me? In a, in a public radio way. <laughs> well, I just mean you write about it in a way that just seems like you, you maybe have had experience with it or you yes. just really were able to empathize, I guess. I went back home where I haven't been for 30 years. And home, I, being, home being Home being Aspen, Colorado. And he saw me at the bookstore and when he uh, heard my last name, he said, I know your parents, I remember them well. And I said, I'm sure you did remember them well. So yes, there was some, a, a certain amount of alcohol delivery being done in my house when I was a child. I didn't even know alcohol delivery was a service. <laughs> you said the alcohol delivery man, like that was like, the paper boy came, the alcohol delivery man That's what came it was by. like. That's what it was like. And in fact, my brother got on it early, maybe at the age of 12, understanding that he could just call in an order. Uh, while my parents were out of town and parties were had. They really play it fast and loose in Aspen. <laughs> I had no idea. Yes. Uh, we have Maria Semple here on Livewire Radio. We have to take a short break, but we will be right back with more. Hey, it's Luke with another reminder that we are trying to hit this membership fundraising goal for 2016 uh, of $15,000. We got to get to that by the end of December. And we need about seven more thousand dollars. If you right now, if you're hearing my voice and you want to donate seven thousand dollars to Livewire, you love it that much. And really, who doesn't? Go to LivewireRadio.org and donate that amount of money. They will email me and I'll stop talking. We'll go right back to uh, your regularly scheduled programming. All right, uh, nobody bit at the $7,000 level. Here's a different level, $10. That's right. If you wanted to uh, pitch us $10 a month to help us keep doing this show, because we are, in fact, independently produced. We just got to go out every year and figure out how to raise the money to bring this show to you and the public radio stations around the country every week. If you would like to help us keep doing that to the tune of $10 a month out of your bank account, uh, you will get a totes bag as a thank you. That is a tote bag that actually says totes on it because it's totes a tote bag. 
Um, we've got all kinds of other special thank yous there. If you go to livewireradio.org, you can see uh, what is available at different levels of supporting Livewire. And uh, it's not an overstatement to say that we would not be here doing the radio show and the podcast without wonderful people who have uh, checked in and supported us. Uh, it just takes a minute and it would mean the world to us. So thank you so much from a bottom, from I said from a bottom of our hearts. <laughs> Like there's one person who's appreciative and it's from the bottom of their hearts. No, it's from the bottom of all of our hearts. Thank you so much for supporting Livewire. Again, head over to livewireradio.org to do your part. Thank you. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. We are at the Neptune Theater in Seattle this week. And we have the incredible Maria Semple here with us. Her new book is Today Will Be Different. You raise a very interesting theory in the book. I'm calling it the helpless traveler theory. Yes. I had never thought about the world in these terms. Can you explain the helpless traveler theory? So the helpless traveler theory is that when you're traveling and you're with somebody who is really competent, they're the competent traveler and you become the helpless traveler. And so you're just totally incompetent the whole, the whole way through the trip. You're saying, are we there yet? Oh my God, that, I'm not going to be able to order in that language. Oh, they're ripping us off and you just, you're tired and you don't want to go on. And that that just becomes your role. You default into the helpless traveler. But if you're with someone who is really helpless, you can just immediately become the competent traveler. And you're the one who knows how to read train schedules and how to make change in a foreign currency. My kind of concept is that everyone has it within them to be both the helpless traveler and the competent traveler. It really just depends on the other person you're with. And in my book, Eleanor Flood's husband is very competent and very level-headed and takes care of things. So she is now for... 25 years just perfected the role of the helpless traveler. She just goes through life not knowing information and realizing that someone will be there to kind of cover for her. The theory being that people will step it up if they have to. Yes. But if they don't have to, they will step it down. They'll step it down and enjoy it. Yeah. (laughs) Which one are you when, when you and your boyfriend and your family travel? I think I'm the competent traveler, but... I I have great memories of being the helpless traveler. It just feels really good just to complain and and have that kind of passive aggression aimed at you and just still do it anyway. It just kind of hits a sweet spot. Um, You have had a variety of writing jobs in your career. You've written for Beverly Hills 90210 and also Arrested Development. Um, What is the difference between writing for the peach pit, and writing for the banana stand. And by the way, I just did that in my own head. (laughs) Because of my deep love of both programs. I couldn't have done that. You know, I'll say I didn't just write 90210. I wrote the Color Me Bad episode of 90210. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that was a classic. Now, did, how did that come together? Did they say, we can get Color Me Bad, write them in? Or did you say, like, I have the, the episode to end all episodes. The, the one drawback is you got to get Color Me Bad here. I think it actually came because 
I had a stint before then when I was hanging out with a lot of rock bands. Um, and I would be with the rock bands on the floor. I was staying on the same floor as the rock bands. This was Def Leppard. And, and uh, I, uh, yeah. Hold on. A friend, a friend of Backing mine was, a, yeah, a friend of mine was the manager. So We've I wasn't. We've been talking about this wonderful book the whole time. <laughs> but you've been sitting on the fact that you used to stay on the same floor of hotels with Def Leppard? Yes. It, it was a fabulous little chapter in my life, all the hanging out with rock bands that I did because a friend of mine was their manager and I was actually writing a screenplay of, that never got made, just I had an assignment to write something about a rock band and so I was able to travel around and w there was just a, uh, the kind of culture of the hotel floor where the rock bands were staying was very interesting, just about how the groupies would try to get up and and the way you try to keep the groupies from getting up. And, and what, would, what would happen, and this is just a tip, what you should do is you should find out the name of the manager of the band. And then what you do is you find out what floor the manager is on, because the manager is on the same floor as the band. And of course, they're not staying under their own names, right? So you then know the manager is not going to go under an assumed name. This is what I learned from the groupies. So you'd find out who the manager was, you'd find out they were on the 11th floor, and then you'd just start roaming the 11th floor for just the guitarist, the one-armed drummer, whoever happened to be. Yeah. Yeah. Rick putting, Allen. Exactly. Putting Very their food out. One of the few one-armed drummers to really make it in rock and roll. Yes. Yes. And so I think that when I was on 90210, I, maybe I was talking about that, but I thought that the whole world of a hotel where the rock band was staying would be interesting. And so if you, that's where Donna found out that her mother was having an affair during this, so that she was sneaking up to the floor of Color Me Bad, and then who comes out of the, the same floor? Her mother. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that you're as delighted by your own writing in this as many others have been. It's, it's hilariously lame, but so I'll tell you, when, when I got the job on 90210, I assumed that you would show up to work and spend most of the time trashing how lame the show was because that seemed to be the only realistic attitude towards that show was how kind of stupid and overwrought it was. And, and I showed up my first day writing thinking that that's, of course, would be part of the fabric of the rewrite room. And they took it deadly seriously. And I thought, okay, I'm in the wrong genre, certainly. What made Arrested Development, in your opinion, so kind of one of a kind is that Mitch Hurwitz and just he's the guy who basically mm -hmm. uh, you know was the sort of in charge of the show is it just his influence on the way down because I mean Arrested Development is really unlike any other TV show I think that has occurred and I still commonly think of things I saw on Arrested Development in my day-to-day -day life well it really was Mitch's show Mitch I, this was a very personal show to him. I think he, he put himself out there and wrote something really personal. It was very much his life. And what I'll say about comedy writing rooms is that most of the time you're sitting around the table and you're just making dark, weird, meta, surreal jokes that you have no intention of putting in the script, that you're just cracking each other up. And then the showrunner will say, okay, come on, let's get back to the script. But we would be doing that in Arrested Development, and I'll never forget that Mitch would be at the computer, and he'd look up and he'd say like, Maria, what was that again? And then he'd just be typing it in. And it was all the crazy stuff that just delighted us would go in the show. Please indulge me this one more thing as a super fan of that show. Did you write anything that you were particularly happy to see get onto the show? 
No. One of the weird things about TV is you never actually see the episodes. You're just working. You're not stopping to work during the show. Yeah, there's no way to record them. Exactly. <laughs> to this day, no, really. God, to this, someday. This day, I've never seen those Arrested Development really? shows. Yeah, so I just, but one day, I think. You should watch them. They're yeah, good. I... <laughs> Maria Semple, ladies and gentlemen, her new book is Today Will Be Different. This week's show is brought to you in part by Amtrak, now offering business class service on the Coast Starlight. Leather seats, Wi-Fi, access to the Pacific Parlor car, including a wine and cheese party, and much, much more. Amtrak connects travelers to more than 500 destinations across America. See where the train can take you at Amtrak.com. This is Livewire Radio coming to you this week from the Neptune Theater in Seattle. Our... Uh, our musical guest this hour has been a favorite of mine for years. They're called Telekinesis, and they, they might not even exist if lead singer Michael Lerner hadn't been studying to be an audio engineer, an audio engineer who couldn't find anyone to record at the school studio in the middle of the night when it was available. So he played the music himself, and the rest, as they say, is awesomeness. Their latest album is Ad Infinitum on Merge Records. Please welcome Telekinesis to Livewire. Kinesis right here on Livewire. If you want to find out more about their music, head over to telekinesismusic.com. That's going to do it for our show this week. Let's tell you who helped make it possible. Of course, we've got to thank our amazing guests, Misha Collins, Giasi Ross, Maria Semple, and Telekinesis. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, Alaska Airlines, New Belgium Brewing, Ergo Depot, and Amtrak. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. And a special thanks this week to KUOW in Seattle and STG Presents. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. 
Laura Haddon is our producer and editor. Jason Rouse is our announcer. Special writing help this week from Carrie Burbank. That's right. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom, A. Walker Spring, and Ethan Fox Tucker. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Ian Davidson did our in-house sound in Seattle, and Sean Flora recorded and mixed the show. Thanks to Revival Drum Shop, and an extra special thanks this week to Carlson Audio, who saved our bacon at the last moment. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom, and our operations manager is Lauren Masterson. Laura Harden is our marketing manager. Hannah Withers is our copywriter. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire is made possible by the generous support of our members. And this week, we'd like to thank members Joseph Sullivan and Michelle Ruber for their support. For more information about our show, head over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. I promise I'll have my voice back next week. And we will see you then. Thanks for listening. PRI Public Radio International. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no. Sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show, so you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review. And if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.